It's the Zero Edge Podcast starring the Zero Edge guy himself, Chris Walton. Each week, Chris dives into the deep end to discuss any and everything in the pool business. And now, give it up for the Zero Edge guy himself, Chris Walton. Welcome to Zero Edge Guy Podcast. I'm here with the Punch Out Boys. Roundtabling. And this this topic is one that really kind of like strikes home real close to my heart. I want to talk about the innovation and design of water shapes projects what are the coolest innovative ways to um, design a project and also make it functional in the build side of it what, what are the coolest ideas that you've seen whether it be recently from your from your portfolio or from somebody else's portfolio something you want to talk about um, give me your favorite let's just let's do a one-word answer now and let's 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 look at where we are so Johnny what's the one-word answer from you on the most innovative cool design aspect you've seen recently um, it's a good question. Uh, I think the the most recent one that I've seen that's I think it's, I mean it's a it's a architectural feat. It's a it's I mean it's a feat in the pool industry and not an, an engineering feat. Uh, the London Sky Pool was just completed, um, and the cool thing about that is it's, you know two companies that are actually local you know in, in the states mm-hmm. Bradford who work a lot with and Reynolds Polymer Bradford did the stainless steel and. Um, Reynolds does the, the acrylic, but mm-hmm. it's basically two mid-rises, and the pool spans between both of them, and it's mm-hmm. all acrylic, like, through the middle. Yeah. Um, and it's on, like, the steel structures on each side, because there's torque between the buildings, right, and settlements, differential settlements, stuff like that. There's, like, it's basically Pretty on, stunning. on ball bearings or something, so the pool moves independently of the, of the structure like that. Mm-hmm. And it just looks, it's, it's the first time it's ever been done, and I think the, the panels are actually... Um, I think the floor, what they said, was like 12 inches thick, and the walls are like 8 inches thick of acrylic. I mean, it's f- fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, I really have no comment to that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I just, you're, you're right. When you, you know, it, I guess. It's like an engineering marble, in a sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm all about, yeah. Suspended. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's movement, right? There's mm-hmm. got to be movement at some point. Wind, everything. Wind, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know. You it's still get... relatively new. They're supposed to be coming out with a video how they, how they you know, they had to barge in all the acrylic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, people are already swimming in it. So oh, yeah. They're gonna, yeah. We'll start to see more and more videos of it and stuff as it yeah. comes out, but it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Well, I, no offense guys. I, I just don't know how you're going to top that, but, uh, I, Greg. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, you, you know, hydro floors, right? You got hydro floors in today's. You're pools. talking about the ones that raise yeah, up yeah. and the pool goes bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty or it drops down and I'm going to throw out a custom, <laughs> the custom pool systems, uh, um, aquatic floors. Just to, okay. just, to plug, Sutton, just to plug, right. just to plug that, just to plug those guys. Yeah, yeah well, those are my boys. Mean, yeah, so, so whatever. You yeah. got this couple different companies, but yeah, I mean the the uh, uh, what, who, who, what's that company? What is it? Uh, well, it's it's uh, custom pool systems. Pl- custom pool aquatic. It's it's a couple. Of the aquatic floors is the, the name of the, the movable floors, floor company, but, but custom pool systems is, is custom. They, pool it, custom pool system that is the right. construction. Right, right. The aquatic floors is the it's Correct. a separate product, Correct, but right, it's right. A, it's you know same thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, the movable floor systems, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they're cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty. Those are they're sweet. Okay. Did, what about you, Adam? I mean, do you have a? I mean, I was more off Johnny's uh, with the London pool, but really like a, a, a acrylic pools, acrylic panels. Uh, panels, spas, especially those freeform spas that are completely acrylic one piece. I mean, they're pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think in in, in my mind the coolest thing about the innovation and in design is I love to see elevation change, right? 
So when I would get into the, and I'm sure that there's probably tons of people who uh, would listen to this and, and hear this is a regurgitation of what I tell everybody, right? So I, f I feel like from the design, in the design world, we work off of three different spectrums. So the first spectrum is going to be formal versus informal. Second spectrum is going to be aesthetic versus uh, functionality. And then the third uh, spectrum is designing and creating d depth and texture within your space using elevation change and color contrast, right? So the first one um, is, is, you know, formal versus informal. That's kind of basic for all of us, right? So the more formal shapes are going to be your more geometrics. The more informal shapes are going to be your freeforms. Does that mean one can't be the other? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But that's usually the spectrum that, you know, you're, you're dealing with when you're talking to somebody, right? You're talking to a, a consumer homeowner. And the second one is that function versus aesthetic. I always tell people that the most functional pool in the world, just to give them a kind of analogy, is a 15 by 30 rectangle that's three foot, five foot, three foot. You can chicken fight, you can play volleyball, you can uh, play basketball. It's the most functional design in the pool industry, right? You get the biggest bang for your buck, space, square footage. But the problem with it is that it's just, it looks like a, you know, concrete uh, cement pond in your backyard, right? Because it's bland, right? But then the other side of that, when I was growing up in the pool industry, the, the coolest pool out there was the, the grotto pool at the Playboy Mansion, right? It's phenomenal. It's the most aesthetically pleasing pool that back in those days that you could see, but you wouldn't want your three-year-old walking around the pool deck unsupervised because then they're climbing up on the rocks and they kill themselves, right? So in that realm of functional versus the aesthetic, there, it's a sliding spectrum that when you deal with your, your consumer, you know, you're trying to find where they're wants and needs lie right then that third one is the one that i really like to focus on which is developing depth and texture within the space using that elevation change and color contrast right so i love seeing people when they step the deck down around the pool the pool is at the elevation of say the lanai that you started out on and you've got multiple elevation changes within the pool because when you're looking at it you see so much texture within the space for example jason brownlee like he, I think, do you go, all of you guys follow him? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when the, like the last two or three designs that he's done, when you look out in that space, it's not a big space, 2000 to 3000 square feet of backyard. That's not a huge backyard, right? But when you look at that backyard, the texture within that space, because of his elevation change, because of the contrast of color within the finished materials, because of there's an acrylic panel in two or three of them, you know, you get this space that you're looking at that it's just like it's eye candy, you know, and it goes back to what you were talking about, that building downtown Miami. It's a piece of architecture right. to me. He crosses that barrier because of his use of that texture within that space. So that's my two cents. I have a little, I, I'm a little bit different on, the, on my opinion of the, the multi-level and functional. And I, I know mm -hmm. the recent one that Jason Brownlee showed, it, it is, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful design. Uh, I don't like, I'm a less is more, I don't really like the elevation change. I feel like if you have too much of it, um, it's just, it's too busy for me. I like less is more kind of Mies van der Rohe kind of thing. Um, no, it's, I like, you're more of a modern contemporary guy. Right, right. But the, I mean, those spaces are great. I just think from a... From an aesthetic standpoint, it's too busy for me. Not to say that you can't achieve a design like that that's yeah. aesthetically pleasing. I'm not saying that at all. But I, but I like less elevation changes when it comes to the functional space because you think in terms of around a pool deck, you know, if you're, you're drinking and, and there's what's wet and stuff, it's from a functional standpoint is you're taking up useful space, but then going down steps and running up and this and that and the steps, you know, it just feel like it's not a, in my opinion, it's, it's not as functional as just having everything at one 
elevation. But I, I just, that's my taste. No, I totally, that's per- yeah, personal preference. I think everybody here would agree that you know your taste is is very dictated by by your market, right? Right. Sure. Right. So your right, market, your right. market in in Miami has gotten extremely modern contemporary. It's crazy. So modern contemporary, and your space up in Jersey is almost the same way because everything's like what a, a rectangle, right? It but, is, and it's a lot of like it, it dictates really from like Cape Cod and in Long Island and the uh-huh. Hamptons. Everybody wants the Hampton style, flat, linear, long. But then you also get the change where you know Jersey's so flat, especially in South Jersey where I build, uh-huh. that having that change of elevation, especially with like a negative edge pull up against the water, yeah, where you have a visual attraction from that negative edge. The backdrop. The backdrop against the ocean, the bay, the, yep. the lagoons. And then having that either lower pool or lower basin. You know, we've been looking at and doing a lot more lower basins that people mm-hmm. can use as kiddie pools, as lounge pools, put chairs in there, put umbrellas in there. So now you have a second pool at a different elevation that's closer to the entertainment space down by the dock mm-hmm. where you have a pool that's larger, that's entertaining space up by the patio, the bar area, things like that. Yeah, so you get the contemporary feel out of the main space, right? Correct. And again, Johnny, going back to your point, I mean, elevation changes don't necessarily have to be no. the way that you create that depth and texture within the space because the uh, what you see in those modern contemporary designs is they go back to that color contrast scenario, right? That Or that that uh, the finished material transition, you know? You can have it all at one level. Level and say the deck material is an epe up to the to the coping material, right. which is then like a a blonde a blonde stone of some kind, you know. And then you you can change and go into your pool, and now you've got a difference in in your your tile and and uh, uh, plaster color as well, right? So right. Well, I definitely like it for the transitional spaces when you're transitioning from one material and space to another. I think yeah. you know that's definitely yeah because that's a color co- the color right, contrast, right? Right. right. So, and and color contrast doesn't necessarily mean that you're not getting some texture contrast because of the change in material it's it you know it, it encompasses all of this right wow. <laughs> did you, did you just not get enough sleep last night do you need to take a quick nap no. greg it's cool you need your teddy bear you need, no, you're good okay totally just making sure i'm paying attention to you listen but to you know going back to the yeah, center we actually we're just we're just completing a center deep pool in hollywood right now and it is mm-hmm. that was my favorite type of of, of functional pools to mm-hmm. do um but they are, you know, it's a, it's a rectangle, so there's not much to it. But you can dress it up on the interior to make it, you know, we have the SLA on one side mm-hmm. and the elevated spa on the other with mm-hmm. both shallow en- entries, center deep. And it is the most functional pool you can probably, you can design. I try to steer clients um, to center deep more than one slope, more than I can. But, you, mm-hmm. you know, you also need the proper length to achieve center deep because you don't want proper that slope. To, right. Yeah. You don't want that slope to be too you know, mm-hmm. significant or it's not really functional. And, and so there's a lot that goes into that stuff. But. My One of my favorite sayings is two cents, right? So my two cents on that is that in the 15 years that I was in that design build format, I think I built one pool that was six foot deep or greater. Oh, yeah. No, as far as depth goes, I try to stay five feet or less, and I try to encourage my clients to do so. Yeah. I, I, I look, mean, you're paying all this money for a pool. Why do you want a deep pool? You're not going to use it. You can't use it. it. I, people want these deep pools, these eight-foot pools, and and then they, then they want a sun ledge. Yeah. Right. Like you have no shallow in now. Right. Right. Where, are you, where are you standing? You're right. in float yeah. the whole time. I mean, yeah. and, and what I tell my clients, is, especially if they have kids, I'm like, listen, we're in the design phase now. We're doing your plans, but I'm sure you're going to be going to a pool party pretty soon. Pay attention to where people hang out. It's what? where they can stand. Well, that's. I think that that whole the perception of a swimming pool has changed. Right. I, I, I believe it started in Europe because as a wellness thing, you know, when when I was a kid, you know, every pool had a diving board on it was 12 feet deep. Sure. You know, sure. now they were more utilitarian. You used them for a purpose, right? I, I'm going to go swimming, mm-hmm. or I'm going to. Uh, and now I think 
this whole wellness movement, you, you know, where everyone's wearing activewear and stuff. It's, yeah, I don't know when that started, but um, I'm one of them too, right? I wear, you know, but um, nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares. But uh, uh, I, I think that's what we're seeing it kind of applied in, in the in the pool industry. Everyone wants to use their pool as a social gathering place now, as opposed to like a swimming. You mm-hmm. know, most people don't care if their pools deeper than five feet because they don't want to. You know, all they care about is having enough area to do a, a, a cannonball in. For the most part, yeah. You know, they want to use it to socialize and, and have some cocktails and do barbecues and stuff like that. You want to hear my coined phrase that I always used in the, in the living room for that one? It was, it was always the same. I said, I said, I know you're thinking in terms of you want a six foot deep pool. And I know you're thinking in terms that it's because your kids are going to dive into the pool. So let me start by telling you, I have four sons ranging from 19 down to eight. If any part of their body touches the water surface area before their feet do, they're sitting for 30 minutes. There is no diving in a pool. There is no dive. I have boys. There's no way I would ever, ever let them dive into a pool. And specifically because, number one, if, even if it is, even if it does have a diving envelope in sure. the pool structure, right, they're going to dive right past the transition and scrape their nose, break their nose, knock their teeth out. They're going to do something like that because they're boys, right? They're stupid, right? <laughs> so my comment to the homeowner is if I can't walk through the entire surface area of the pool holding my Dr. Pepper, then it's not usable space to me. And I'm six, four. So why would you want to pull deeper than five feet? It's not usable space. Right. Right. So and, it, it's not right, usable. I'm sorry. And basically, and to, to piggyback off what you said, I basically tell my clients at that rate, you know, you have 25% of your pool. That's going to be usable. If that's how deep you want to go. Yeah. Period in the story. Because the transition. You, and, it, and it's probably even less than that when you start factoring in a sun shelf, like Adam said. You know? yeah, exactly. So, well, it's also more expensive shelf. to build, especially in, you know, in, in Miami Beach where you have a high water table. You're dewatering you know, deep, yeah, yeah. you yeah. $400 a day. Right. And you just throw away five more grand, 10 more grand to, de- to dewater your yep. pool as you're building it. Yep. Hey, then now you can't use it. And the people go, well, I want to be able to, you know, make it six feet. I can still stand. I said, I didn't realize your mouth was located on the top of your head. <laughs> and they go, wait, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. They, they, they have that conversation all the time. Well, I'm six foot. I, I don't want to be able to, I want to be able to go under. I said, well, you can go under in a five and a half foot pool. No bend, problem. Bend your knees. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm six foot one and I, you know, taking back what you said about your boys, but I, you know, I'm six foot one and I can dive into a five foot pool. No problem. Personally, you can still do a cannonball on five. I mean, even on a ten foot deep pool, you dive right into the break every time. You jump off and you hit your head right on the break. You you, you dive right past the depth and you go right to the transition. Yeah, Yeah. because the diving board's already you're you're already two three feet over the pool. By the time your six foot person jumps, you're nine (laughs) feet ten feet out over the pool. I I was having this conversation with uh, uh, this was a couple years back where it was the project was in New York. And it was a landscape architect that I was on the, on the line with. It may have been you, Adam. I don't know. No, but um, I was having this conversation because he wanted to make the pool eight feet deep. And so I was just, you know, doing my due diligence. And my, part of my job is to educate, you know, well, we don't really, 90% of the pools we do are five and a half feet max unless you're, you're you know, diving or whatever. Um, and he just couldn't wrap his head around that. And, and he, he hung up on me. Well, he hung up on the, it was a group call. It was like five people on the call. And he got so pissed that he hung up the phone. He just, I just had that same conversation like, with LA a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He goes, it was crazy. you're building me an eight foot deep pool. It's antiquated Stop thinking. Stop asking me questions. I was like, and That's finally, crazy. I just gave up because now we convinced the homeowner because the homeowner's paying him massive dollars to design this pool and backyard. I, I said, your sun shelf is your entire shallow end. My break has to be this big, and my deep end is going to be this big. You're not going to go straight down into a wall. And I finally just said, you know what? It's not worth the fight because 
if they don't like what I propose, now it's my fault forever that they didn't get their eight foot and their kid dumped in. And but these LAs especially yeah, are so them- set on eight foot. Yeah, I need I don't know eight what it was. feet. I'm like, this is not 1960s. Yeah. And I, they won't answer the question, but they won't give up on it. And they've convinced the customer for two years they've been designing this backyard that they need an eight-foot pool. Now the homeowner can't be talked out of it. And I think that's the biggest problem is it's all these old-timers that are set in this right. old-time way that it's 1980 and we have to have it. Forget the diving board. We're putting a jumping rock in, so I need 10 feet. Hey, really cuidado, Blanco. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Oh, there's all this old shit. Let's go. <laughs> I get it. To me, it, let's throw this out there. We're talking about innovative design, right? So uh, one of my biggest things is I feel like the, the ultimate enemy to innovation is traditionalism. That's the ultimate. Who said that? That's a quote from somebody, isn't it? No, I, 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 I don't. It probably is. Are we gonna, I'm, I'm we're going to zero edge. That's going to be your next on Instagram. That's going to be your next, that, your next it's, quote. It's, the next quote. Yeah. On Instagram, it's going to be the next tip from the edge. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like the enemy of innovation is traditionalism. Which is true because we've true. always done it this way. Yeah. The, I, whenever right. you hear oh, that, I you know. That. I, I have to name drop. years, if I hear that from somebody, I will crush your skull. And I quote, I've done it this way for 35 years and it worked every time. That's it. Good for you. We get a shirt that says that. Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> exactly. So when we're looking at innovation, traditionalism is kind of the ultimate enemy for innovation because it keeps us in our rut. It keeps us from seeing. It puts blinders on us and keeps us from seeing what is possible out there. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about those design spectrums that I was that I kind of brought forth earlier was I wanted to look at when we approach a design, when we approach a. a, a Let's go to remember the last podcast where I was giving you hell about, you know, you're always bringing up the monsters, right? <laughs> right? So when you're creating, when you're devising a monster. We should dim de- the lights a little bit. Yeah, when like, you're devising a monster. Um, what really constitutes where you go and why? Is it the customer, the customer or is it their functionality? Or is it more of your, your motif of aesthetic? That drives it. There's well, I think it's it's based scale, on the, the, the scale of the property. Now. Well, it's it's, it's a lot of things, but there, this the, should be a three part answer. Dis- by the way, I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. It's a three part. Well, the answer. main deciding factor is is the priorities of the client. How important? Boom. One number is. one. Number and, one. And so when we ask questions about the client, you know, ask like, how do you intend to use this, and that's how we kind of and how important is this? Because you come into instances where these projects, some of these projects are located on the side of cliffs with vanishing edges and stuff, and you want to do a SLA. And you have to kind of bring it up to the, you know, there's there's codes and stuff. Yeah. And depending on where you're at, there's no codes if you're in Jamaica or something like that. But mm-hmm. you still, as good practice, want to want to err on the side of caution and let mm-hmm. them know, hey, someone could fall over this edge and stuff. Right. But so, it's one is, is is as long as you bring that up and it's it's the priority of the client. Some sometimes they love the aesthetic and they won't budge on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if if it's not as important, then maybe we kind of find a middle ground or we, we, we shift to a different design intent but mm-hmm. i think i think that's first and foremost it, it, what it comes down to is is the is the the priorities of the, of the client i'm going to qualify this by saying that of the four people that are sitting here two of us are mainly design related because of even though you have the background in the education Absolutely. adam for design yep you focus right now in in the actual production side of things yes building it yes. right yep. and and that's really greg's forte as well too you know what i mean so from that aspect we look at things from more of the aesthetic and i would think that you guys look at the thing for more of the ease of build do you not 
Yes and no. I mean, Johnny will tell you. I mean, I don't necessarily go for the easiest. Yeah, not to say you shy away from it, but what I'm saying is, when you look at when you look at the most complicated design for a pool you've ever seen, you're thinking about how to build it. Yes or no? Yeah, yes. sure. That's exactly. First, that's first. Right. Yeah. Well, the, second, and I, the second point that you were saying, number two, is would be co- you know cost is it, it's got to make sense cost wise. Even though you know that's yes, that's there's clients two. that are doing seven that's figure pools two. and they you know they always say ah we don't have a budget, but you know everyone has everybody a has a budget. Everybody, everybody has, a budget. has a budget. So yeah, you have everybody. to quantify what their what their what their functionality is, and then you need to qualify what their budget is. Right. right? So that's right. one and two. And the third part of that is what. It has uh, to be trans- that far ahead. Yeah. It has to be translatable to the guys who are actually providing the means and method on the site, right? Right. Well, that's right. a whole yeah. That's right, right. so when it comes into good design, those are the three things you have to deal with, right? Right. So when you're pushing that dialogue with the consumer and you're educating them and you're talking about um, okay, so when we're talking about this space, we need to know how you're going to function it. So when you're talking about a hundred percent of your home life, how much of your total life, percentage-wise, is your home life? Twenty percent. When you say home life in retrospect to what? Time you spend at home. Your life, how much of that time is spent at home? You're talking about me. One percent. I was, I was just about to say, me personally. <laughs> Never. No. I live at my job. Or? I live in my truck. <laughs> no. Yeah. Dick doesn't have I mean, a home. <laughs> look where I am now, Chris. I'm not at home. So, <laughs> you're my day I mean, off and spend 24 you're, you're hours on an airplane. More or less asking for a Well, a lot of right? these clients. They, they, you know, they have multiple homes. This is like right, a vacation right. home or something. And yeah, so which, that's which home are you at? Which this time of the dialogue year? is directed at consumers of our industry. Right. So, so retrospect to what Johnny's saying is, is like 20% you know, of their time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you know, a lot of this, you know, or majority of the stuff he's working on, I mean, you're, you know, these people have second homes and you know. okay. So let, let's, let's focus. Let's not focus on the monsters. Let's focus on that middle range, right? It's called 20%, that, 20, 25%. Right. Do so, I need to be here for this conversation? I can, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no monsters just, here. We'll bring your monsters up you, you'll end up bringing your monsters up in a, in a minute but i think that's a fair number 25 30 percent so let's 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 work with round numbers so let's go to the 30 percent. so of that 30 percent, how much of your home life do you spend in your outdoor space if you have the best staycation outdoor space you could possibly afford you're now putting discretionary dollars towards 15 percent of your time right so as a consumer what you're actually doing is you're not purchasing that they're using that discretionary income for yourself. You're using it for your family, right? Staycation, uh, birthday parties, to make the events of your home life more eventful, right? So when you're thinking about innovation and design, you need to think about congregation space, travel space. That's pretty much it. When you're not in the water, you think about congregation space and travel space. Uh, so when we start talking about innovation and design, when we start talking about, like we, you were saying, that you wanted everything on the same plane because it, to you it's more functional, totally get that. But I think also when we talk about elevation change, you can create th- those elevation changes in the travel space and make your congregation spaces completely wow. isolated without impacting them with your elevation change. Well, another good use for elevation change like that is to establish like a level of hierarchy in the design, right? So if you want like the outdoor, if you have an out, a pergola, outdoor pergola. You like the like, language there, Rick? That's like, like the that hierarchy. That's what they pay me the big higher. bucks for, baby. Yeah. But if you, you know, uh, if you have like an it's outdoor kitchen area. Big words that I'm about to start looking up. <laughs> that's Gary, can you look up that, that, that phrase for us? Hierarchy He's in busy. design? <laughs> Google that for us. Thanks. So, you know, if you have like an outdoor kitchen area, right, that you want to be the focal point of the outdoor area, right, you know, a way to establish that is one material changes, but but another is just to put it up on a higher elevation, you know, it kind of sits high and it kind of it makes an unconscious 
level of high. That's why, you know, the, the elevated perimeter overflow spas, mm-hmm. you know, the one we just did in Hollywood, it's on. It's not where I would have put it, mm-hmm. um, but it made sense that the client wanted it there. We put it on the far side, the water side. You know, so you have to kind of walk all the way around to get in the spa, but you don't use it as much. And so that's how we, we mm-hmm. develop the priorities, right? But right. it's it's an, it's elevated and it's kind of a focal point mm-hmm. of, of, you know, and because it sits higher than the rest of the pool in the, in and the because, deck area. So. And because it's in Miami, it makes sense. Like up in Jersey where, where you get you get above the freestall line. Right. If you're not putting that pool in good proximity to the master bedroom or an accessible point from the house. You're not using it. You're freezing your balls off in the winter. Especially right. we have a lot of clients that keep their spas open year round because they don't want to have a fiberglass spa in the back. So we do a summer winter union setup. Yep. And that's the same thing. We always put it on the closest corner of the pool to whatever the door is they're coming out. Yeah. Because if it's anything further, it just sits there as a lawn ornament. That's yeah. right. A lawn ornament. I love that. I love that. It's expensive. That it's expensive before. lawn ornament. <laughs> yeah. Talk about spending your discretionary income for a lawn ornament. ornament. Put yeah. some little lawn, gnomes. Yeah, there, you yard know? gnome. Yeah. yeah. A little yard gnome. Uh, we next should, year develop, we should come out with a little pool gnome with, of the Zero Edge guy with the bobble head. Dude, that's the sculpture, Gary. Gary, you're going to have to do a yard gnome. With the, pool, oh, with the zero edge guy head like in a bathing suit or something no <laughs> no the mankini he said it the not mankini banana hammock the, banana hammock the, I'm wearing one right now come on hey I, easy I can see you guys have already been at this too long no <laughs> it's been a long it was a long day so I guess to kind of get us back on track the innovation and design I mean I like to think of it that when you start talking to somebody about discretionary income going into that small of a life of a of your life's time, you know, they need to have a concept of that. And I think that we're doing an injustice to the consumer by not explaining that, right? So where are you going to put your dollars when it comes to a project? You know, are you going to really spend um, uh, and to go back to to my time in the design build space, I never <laughs> It's kind of embarrassing uh, to a certain extent, but I never sold a colored light. Really? Ever. Why? Really? That is embarrassing. So if you think about it, if you've ever seen any of my completed work, it was always, you know, it stood on its own, I felt like, you know, and call me, that may have been my traditionalism that stood in the way of my own personal design build innovation was that I felt like colored lights were gaudy. You know, but again, I'm I'm willing to admit that. I mean, it's not an ego trip for me. I'm kind of embarrassed about it. That's why I'm embarrassed about it. It's because I allowed my traditionalism to to influence the innovation of my designs and the builds, right? So I I think that a lot of guys out there are kind of the same. They see an elevation change in in a in a pool area as being uh, cost prohibitive, prohibitive, or something that increases the cost and that the consumer doesn't really see uh, bang for their buck. I think they do. Because when you're not in that pool, you can still see that elevation change when you're inside the house. You're in your home space, and you still get the enjoyment of the texture and depth in your backyard. But then on that same token, I think you also get the benefit of seeing those colored lights when you're inside as well, too, right? Yeah, I think, well, I think the colored lights is a personal preference. But, I, I, you know, on more elegant pools, somewhat, I, I could say you could All design is personal preference. Come on now. Well, but, you know, good design and... and, and you know, there's people who want to dictate the design. Like we just did one, it's like a, a, over a hundred foot long pool, and then he was very uh, opinionated about what he wanted. He kind of knew what he wanted, more or less. I didn't necessarily agree as a as a designer, um, but some, sometimes that's just the nature of the business. You have to do what the client wants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of times it's, maybe it doesn't make sense circulation wise or whatever it is. But, um, but it, just as a sidebar, you can tell that we're the design nerds in here because these two these two can't get off their freaking phones answering questions from subs or or somebody. They're burning the business down. They're burning the business down. 
Here I am talking about bells and whistles, damn it. <laughs> What's the most useless, the most useless uh, design innovation that you've seen come out in, in the industry recently? Sheer descent. Those, those sheer descents with lights in them? You know? Those. There's a those little plastic company. that get full of leaves. Even the filter can't pick it up, and then they stop working, so people go in there and cut the baffle out right in the front, and now it doesn't do anything. This guy. <laughs> Not your sheer descent. <laughs> I'm talking like this. I'm talking about the you know, podcast gold. Copied my product ones. Those CMP little lit ones that they all the, every little debris gets yeah. stuck in. You, you know what I'm talking little, about. Little, yeah, a little thing. In there. Yeah, it just fills up full of pipe debris. I just want to point out for anybody and everybody listening to this podcast that Great American Waterfall nor Zero Edge Guy had anything to do with his comment or commentary <laughs> when it comes to... <laughs> you know, I'm just joking. If, no. I, if I had to say, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of deck jets. I'm not the only thing I would like for you to do is say it into the microphone. I'm not a big fan of deck jets. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of uh, bar stools in a pool. When you say deck jets, are you talking about pissers? Pretty pissers. much. Yeah, pissers. Deck pissers. Deck pissers. Love right. me a good, love me a good yeah. deck pisser. And There's nothing yeah. like seeing a chair piss from underneath. Bar stools You buried a, a cherub underneath the, pool, uh, eh. the pavers, and it's peeing into oh. the pool. If you're gonna at least do a deck jet, I would. If you're gonna do a deck jet, I would at least do a laminar. At least get some more volumes per minute, more gallons per minute, and just get get it up, get it up in the air. Yeah, it's, Instead it's of more a, of a structural ribbon of water, right? Exactly. So, yeah, it's yep. a thicker, thicker ribbon of water, and at yeah. least you can light it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Deck jets are what? What are they? Two, three gallons a minute or something, and they shoot about two feet in the air. Never installed it one. Looks like Never something, even spec one. It looks like something like a pipe broken. It was just yeah, like, it's you know, it. yeah, it's like it's, a broken it's, irrigation yeah. line shooting in your pool. Yeah. It's kind. Of, it's kind of weird what passes for a water feature these days, right? Yeah, that's a good call right there, Greg. I like it. What, what about you? What's a really shitty um, de- uh, design innovation that you can think of in recent past? The, those new lights that clamp into the outlets. When people don't put enough lights in, they put them into the inlets of uh, in, of pools, and the propulsion of the water lights the pool. I don't know if you guys have ever I've seen ever those. Seen that. Yes. They click into return fittings so people don't properly light their pools. They start shoving them in return fittings because you can get water to pass through them, and they also light from the the energy well, of like the a, water going through. It's like a bubbler, but in the wall. It is of, so <laughs> ugly. Oh, bubblers! I, I would say. Them, I would say lit bubblers are on the top scale of a useless innovation because yeah. in order to make them do anything, you have to have like two two inches of water. These condescending motherfuckers from the Northeast talk about what a horse market Florida <laughs> is, and this dude comes in with light generate light generation through a return. <laughs> and we're the bass backwards guys down here you in Florida. You think I build pools with those? No, I didn't say you did. I said it came out of your market. Oh, it comes out of New Jersey. Yeah, it everybody comes- that's backwards and don't know how to light a pool. Yeah, it was probably what, it could probably the product that was invented on Jersey Shore or something. Like that. <laughs> it probably was. Yeah, right. Snooky. Yes, yeah, right. or, or guys that put lights on the op- or on the opposite side of the pool, oh, shining God, right back at that. the patio. That's all over New Jersey, too. That's not an innovation faux pas. That's just straight ignorance. Ignorance. (laughs) I would say lit bubblers. That's a bad innovation. I got to tell you that that, the whole bubbler thing, whether deck jets, like, all right, so look at it from my perspective, right? Where I am now, who I work for, you guys all know that. I don't need to plug them, but Great America Waterfall has kind of like been my playground for the last three years, and it's been so much fun, right? I've learned so much. But one of the things that I want to do is I want to try and bring innovation to water features, right? Sure. I think that's one of the places that, that no one has lived in that realm, and it makes me baffled why. You know, the last innovation we saw in water features was the laminar jet. 
I am a design snob from from like way back, okay? And like so my even my R&D crew down at Great America Waterfall, like there's shit that I will not go into R&D on because I'm just too much of a snob. It's like, "No, I'm not going to do it." And you know you want to know what the number one thing is that that they're trying to just hammer the shit out of me on? A lit shear. Just do it. Right. Let's let's well, yeah, but let's CMP, talk about just this. do it. Let's you know what? We brought it up. Let's talk about it. Why does it not make sense? Let me tell you my perspective and then you tell me if if I'm being a design snob or I need to figure it out. Okay? Let's just throw it out there. Okay. So, shear descent right now operates on a 1 gallon per inch G- GPM, right? So, let's go back to it. So, if shear descent technology is based on a gallon per inch per linear foot, right? Gallon per inch, right? You're looking at um, an eighth inch nozzle or gap that that water's coming out of, right? So if it's an eighth of an inch, that's inherently two things that are um, light wavelength prohibitive. Number one, the thickness of the water is not thick enough to carry light in the ribbon. And number two, it's turbulent flow. So the moment you have turbulence in water, the light wavelength is going to be diffracted out of the ribbon that it's supposed to be carried in. So inherently, shear technology is not intended to be lit. Backlit, bottom lit, downlit, maybe. But it's not intended to carry light through it. Everyone the in the stream's group, not big enough, just like you said. Well, that's the, what you the, need the, laminar flow is what you, you need. need. That, that thick ribbon of water to be able to generate that light through the water, no? A problem I've been diagnosed with since I was probably 12. The stream's just not thick What's enough. the minimum thickness for, for laminar flow? To achieve? It's got to be like, an, like a half an inch? Well, there is no minimum. If you well, think about it, the, 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 that's yeah, true. The, reality, the reality of laminar flow is that it just has no turbulence in it, right? Right. So uh, I would assume that the greatest laminar uh, jet manufacturers on the planet have come to a consensus about how small is too small, right? But again, everyone that I've ever seen is what that half inch to three quarter inch diameter. Well, I guess I should rephrase to 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 visually appreciate the laminar flow from a, a something like a water shear. It would have to be a certain thickness, right? You know, in order to exactly, right? exactly. And, and so, what is, what is that? And then, you know, from there, the rest of them. Well, for for example, I mean, I think this dialogue got started with with um, my guys at the at our in our R and D shop are, are kicking the shit out of me about you know why are you being a design snob and not wanting to help us light shears? Well, because it's inherently flawed, right? So I think when you ask me the question, what is that magic number or thickness or whatever? I don't think it's been explored to this point, right? So, but what I do know is that when it comes to providing light inside of a, and I call it a ribbon, because no matter what what water feature or fixture you're talking about, it's the shape of the water that comes out of that fixture that we as designers and builders and the consumers at large want to see lit, right? Sure. So when you, when you think in those terms, it has to be thick enough to carry the light. So when we're talking about the what out of a water feature that we're, we're lighting, it's the actual ribbon, and that's what I call it. Again, I may be using the wrong term. Somebody can absolutely come in and correct me. I think I'm going to go with stream of water. Stream of water? Yeah. Okay. A stream of water, to me, has too much turbulence. So when we're talking about this ribbon and lighting that ribbon, I think that's what I was talking about earlier when I said that there's nobody in our space that is focusing on R&Ding a ribbon that is turbulent well, no, free no, enough nobody's doing any r&d kind of like what you're doing well no people scuppers. are doing r&d people are doing r&d i think people aren't doing r&d 
on... I'm going to save you from just even going any further. And maybe you'll agree with me once I fully complete this sentence. All right, let's go ahead. I think the companies are focusing on acquisitions versus R&D right now. You have so many acquisitions going on from companies acquiring other companies that they're really not focusing on R&D. They're focusing on acquiring other companies. I don't... I don't disagree with you but i can add to that by giving you this little tidbit you probably know the one guy the one guy out there and and again i've never met this dude but there's a guy and he uh he actually came up with uh the magic bowl okay pentamon magic bowls yeah yeah, yeah. gay name autopilot yep oh well oh so okay so he he r&ds brings product to market takes it to manufacturers or manufacturers come to him hey we don't have this in our line can you can make you this. make us one? You know, or and he R&D buys or one. he sells it to them or yeah. royalties yeah. or whatever he does. For. And and uh, you know, not not naming names again. Um, he's come out now with what he feels like is is a a lit shear. Does it work? I'm not going to say I'm not going to comment prospectively because of my, where my loyalties lie, whether or not it works. But when you look at his his finished product, it's not an eighth inch thickness of water that's coming out there. He's having to pour it thick, right? So yes, has he achieved a lit shear? Yes, in not so many terms, but it's more so in line with what my Aquaspot Extreme um, baffling has done, is that it allows a two-inch pipe to feed a fixture that gets baffled, slows the water down enough that it pours in a thickness that is more laminar flow to carry the light through the ribbon of water. Now, what does that translate into? automatically when i thought about it it's just i live in this space okay so that's why my mind went to this is that you're going away from like one gallon per inch right now if it's a 36 inch uh uh fixture you're looking at what three five gallons per minute per inch okay well it changes everything right yeah so what's three times if it's a three foot long fixture Wait, what's three on. times 36 hang on let me do it 160 170 was it three gallons. times 36 times inches. Of, um, 180 to be exact 108, idiot. God, I was carrying a zero, but so now (laughs) you had to use your push button calculator there, guy. So now you're moving so much more water. You're upsizing everything. Yeah. So now you're not just as a pool contractor. You're not selling a fixture that's a thousand dollar fixture with a light and or eighteen hundred dollar fixture with a light and it's pouring water. The water's traveling through it. Now you're changing the dynamic of your suction location, your suction trunk line, and or it's an one on its own with its own pumping system right we've resolved the issue with debris inside of a shear fixture because the the baffle for this is so wide open that it takes all that water allows it the the water velocity to slow down so that it pours at a greater uh, thickness of ribbon so we don't have debris issues anymore that's great everybody be happy about that but the problem now becomes that you're creating a scenario where your suction and return now has to be adequate to handle 108 gallons per minute what do you need to run a two foot shear to set oh just an xf well they make a five horsepower now so but for two foot yeah yeah. right exactly because you know you're talking about three times 24. Yeah, you know, seventy-five gallons. Well, that goes back to. I mean, that goes back to. I mean, I mean everything. I mean, consumer seizures even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, and that's what I'm saying. So right now, a twenty-four inch, a twenty-four inch shear, and the the, you know, what spawned this conversation? So by the way, was what's the shittiest blah blah blah? Homie pulls out the shear descent. You know, right. And shear descent is actually a a, a a general term more than anything, right? Well, a, a shear waterfall is how you would say it. If you say shear descent, it's actually a product name for, uh, fluidra now fluidra yeah. well, fluidra. fluidra zodiac jandy sheer descent 
So it's actually that's actually a product name. So it's a shear technology. I, I think that's why we got into building our own quote shears out of stone was because that was the only way I was able to get light into them. Mm-hmm. I would take like eighty size lights, put them inside the the trough. It would generate enough light in there if you did two that it would spill enough through to be able to light it. Or you'd put a bench in front of a large shear waterfall and light, up light it. Light, but light, you light. had I had to put that you know three gallons a minute per inch through it and not your standard little you know your one and a half inch plumbing back i'm putting two two or four two inch lines off of two pumps to it to give it enough gallons per minute so more water volume gives you better light i can get better light when i put significant no so if i turn those variable speeds down to low speed or turn them down to 1800 you don't get that light you've got to run them You've got to get that gallons per minute to carry that light light through. So going back to the beginning of this dialogue, you basically, um, you're a third party, um, I guess, bringing uh, validation to my comment, which is with a normal shear, one gallon per inch, you can't. You can't. It's impossible. Lighting it is retarded. Even if you underlit it from a bench, it goes right through it. It doesn't grab. There's nothing to grab to. You can't have a sheet of water. Okay, so going back to what started this whole dialogue, like my art, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a design snob, right? So my R&D team's asking me, why aren't you lighting shears? Am I being a design snob or am I being... You're being realistic. Realistic. Yeah, exactly. well, there, there are a handful of products right that have have lighting now, but it's just I they don't this, they don't do anything. All they do is blind right. the person standing in front what, of it. That's what we're the, the, what we're missing here is right. It goes back to like the, the, the cookie cutter pools versus custom stuff. There's a lot of there are a lot of products out there right now. I would say most pool products in my yeah. eyes are just they're Mickey Mouse. I, I don't like a lot of them. We don't do a lot of our stuff. Yeah, because they're just not the, what I envision when I envision a shear descent or something. I'm I'm thinking of what you're thinking of. You know, sure. But when when people you know the end consumer they don't know they see the shears and it's kind of they they just they, yeah there's there's yeah. you're basically you see the, the 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 light source and where the light hits the pool because the ribbon is too thin to actually show off the light because some of the light wavelength does travel through the shear does hit the you'll water see it in the and you'll see it in the splatter right it, you'll see it but that's it you don't see it in the actual ribbon because it's too thin it's not right. thick enough and there's too much turbulence in that right so I, I think going back to what we're talking about, it's like we need to um, to look at how do we push the in, the industry to start lighting some of these other things, you know, these other creating other fixtures. Now I'm not trying to toot my own horn or, or Great American's horn, but with this, these aquaspout extremes that we've got out now, you know, not only do they self baffle, so you don't have to have a two way valve to uh, regulate flow between three, five, or seven of them. You have a ribbon of water that comes from the spout that now is lightable because it's as non turbulent as you can get it, and it's thick enough that it's gonna it's gonna carry the white let the light wavelength all the way down to the actual water source, which is the pool or the spa or whatever. Long story short, that's the end of the I guess the innovation from Zero Edge Guy and the Punch Out Boys. Thanks for coming, guys. Again, Johnny, Adam, Greg. Thank you, bud. Thank you.